open up in prayer. Praise the Lord. Let's just bow our heads right now. Precious Jesus, thank you, Lord, that we can be in your house. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, Lord God, to study, to learn, Lord God. Father, we also pray, Lord, for our youth life class, our Sunday school classes that are happening right now, Lord, that you would be with them, Jesus. Lord, let your anointing rest upon all of us teachers, Lord God, and upon everybody who listens, Lord God. Help us to learn and grow as a church. We love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. And we are going to continue this morning um, with part two of the series that we started last week. Last week, you remember, we started talking about the oneness of God. And so we're going to continue that. And my purpose in, in teaching this is I want to spend a little bit of time in this first half of the year going over some of these basic doctrines that we kind of know, but perhaps we don't know the specific details of how or why. You know, maybe we don't know where the scriptures are, or, or maybe we know it, but we don't know why it's important. Or maybe we know it, but we don't know how to tell other people about it. Amen. Because the oneness of God is something that is, um, I, I guess, unique to apostolic believers, people who believe what the New Testament church was like, amen, and, and that, that's what we want to be like. As a little side note, you know, there is, um, there's three types of churches in the world. There is traditional church, right, and traditional churches are very much, you know, sort of in the vein of your Anglican church, your Roman Catholic church, very traditional. This is the way we've done things for thousands of years. This is the way that, you know, the, 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 uh, et cetera, et cetera, traditional. Then there's Reformation. So Reformed churches are churches that go, well, we're not quite happy with the traditions. Let's change a few of them and let's try and come up with something different. So that's Reformation. So that's things like, you know, maybe the Presbyterian Church, the Uniting Church, things like that. And then there's Restorationists. And that's what we are. We are a restorationist church. In other words, we look at what the early church was like, right? In the book of Acts, what the apostles preached and teach, and that's what we want to be like. That's the church we want to be like. That means if we look in the Bible and they believe that there is one God, then we too believe that there is only one God, amen? If we look in the Bible and they baptize in Jesus' name, then we baptize in Jesus' name as well. We are restorationists. Amen? Amen. That was for free. Let's review last week. Last week we opened up, we started talking about this idea of monotheism. This belief that there is only one God. And the Old Testament and the New Testament, they both show that there is only one God. The verse that we spoke about last week, you might remember, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. That is the fundamental tenet in Judaism, which is where Christianity came from. Right, That there is only one God. And throughout the Old Testament, you see Scripture after Scripture after Scripture where God says, there's no other God beside me. I don't know of any other. He says, my glory I will not share with another. He says, he's the only God. There's only one God. 
Amen. And then, of course, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen. The idea was, was that not only was the, were the children of Israel to know that there was only one God, but they were to love that one God with everything they had, all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their strength. And we are the same. We know that there is only one God because the Bible teaches us that, but we are to love that one God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength. Amen? This was last week. And we also looked at how the New Testament uses things like there is no, none other God but one, 1 Corinthians 8.14. You know, 1 Timothy, uh, what is it? I think it's 1.14. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, one God. Right? And so it's not a surprise to read in the New Testament there's only one God. When the transition happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God didn't suddenly go, surprise, there's more of me now. It didn't change. If we believe that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? if we believe, like it says in the Old Testament, that I am the Lord, the Bible says, I change not, then why would He suddenly change something fundamental like how many of them there is? Amen. So we know that there is only one God. And then, of course, we also talked about how some of the attributes of God. John 4 verse 24 says, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. And 1 Timothy 1.17 tells us that God is eternal, immortal, invisible. Amen. Because He's a spirit. So no one can see God except when God chooses to manifest himself. And he did that several times throughout the Old Testament. He did it in the burning bush. He did it with the angel of the Lord who appeared to Joshua. There was many times that he did choose to appear, amen. And of course, we know that the most famous time, the most exciting time, the best time in which, Jesus, was, which God manifest himself was when he came as Jesus, amen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. God chose to reveal himself to us as Jesus Christ. Amen. And scripture reveals his attributes. He is omniscient, which means God knows everything. Amen. That's what the word omniscient means. Om means all. Omni, all. Niscient, knowledge. All knowledge. God knows everything. Right? This is one of the attributes of God. That's why when you read in the Old Testament and God says, there's no other God beside me, I don't know of any other. A God who knows everything would know if there's another God. Fair enough? That will make sense to me. He's omniscient. He is omnipotent, which means he has all power. Right? We don't quite grasp that because we don't have all power. Right? We kind of struggle to wrap our heads around that, you know. And so, you know, God, God doesn't have a limit. There's no cap on His power. He has, he has, he's omnipotent. He has all power. Amen. And so, God can heal a headache. God can heal a broken leg. God can heal cancer. God can create a new universe. It's no different to Him. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't feel like, oh, I've just used quite a bit of my power recently. I might just recharge for a while. No, He's omnipotent. All power. And that translates also to government authorities, to the governments, to the powers that are above us. Amen. The powers that people have come from God. Right? You'll remember we spoke about Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize that I have the power to execute you or let you go? And Jesus said to him, you could have no power except my Father gave it to you. Right? So all power, every power, ultimately finds its source in God. Amen. We also talked about 
how he's omnipresent, which means everywhere at once at the same time. Right? We talked about that scripture in Psalms where David said, where can I go to escape from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and climb up into the highest place, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you're there. You know, God is everywhere at once at the same time. That's why we can worship God here and feel His presence here just the same as His Pastor Post Church can worship God and feel His presence over there just the same as they can in Sydney, just the same as they can in Canada, just the same as they can in the United Kingdom. God's presence is everywhere. We can't escape it. He's omnipresent, everywhere present at the same time. Amen? And we also talked about some of His other attributes. He was holy. He's good. He's just, He's merciful, He's loving, amen. But we're going to move on today, and we're going to talk about this a little bit deeper, because even though we can't entirely comprehend God, He has used several examples in Scripture to reveal Himself to us. And one of the ways in which God did this was using different names or different titles to identify Himself. Now, today... Names don't mean quite as much as what they did mean in the Old Testament. You know, I, was, I, I did a little Google search. If you want to have a bit of a laugh one day, not now, but if you want to have a bit of a laugh, just Google weird baby names. And, you know, there's someone who called that child Pilot Inspector. That's just weird, you know. Um, Elon Musk has named his kids some really weird thing that I can't even pronounce. You know, there's just some really weird names out there. Names don't mean like what they used to mean in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the usage of a name carried a much stronger significance than it does today. Do you know what your name means? Your name does have a meaning. We just don't think about it too much. My name, Jason, means healer. It comes from the Greek. It means healer. But unless you actually look that up, you don't know about that. But in the Old Testament, people would actually name their children specific things so that they would either be like that or not be like that. You know, sometimes kids were named because God told the prophet, name your kid this. You know, it's like a, a popular name back in the 1600s was um, temperance. I don't know if we'd ever name our child temperance, but it was a girl's name, temperance. Why? Because they didn't want them to drink alcohol. So they called their child temperance. So whenever they would go up, they'd go, okay, I'm not to drink alcohol. My name is temperance. Funny, huh? We don't think about it so much today. But people use their names to reveal something about their character, something about their history, or something about their nature. You know, many people who have names like Smith, right, in English, comes from when their family were blacksmiths. And so they didn't really use last names. That was just Bob the blacksmith. And then over time, it got changed. Well, eventually, it was just Bob Smith. Because it was the blacksmith, right? God is the same. God in the Old Testament used people's names to change things, to, to, to call things out about people. You know, God changed the name of Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, right? Because God had given Abraham a promise. I will make of you a great nation. So your name is not going to be Abram anymore, exalted father. Your name is going to be Abraham, father of multitudes. 
right? So God was saying by changing his name, God was telling Abraham what he was going to do. God changed the name of Jacob, which means heel catcher, supplanter, to Israel, which means he will rule as God. Even in the New Testament, Jesus changed the name of Simon to Peter. Amen. And so names were changed and, and kids were named after certain things in the Old Testament to show who they were, what they stood for, what was going to happen in their life, what their hopes and dreams for the parents were. But does God have a name? That's the question. Since we know that God is a singular spiritual being with many attributes, we need to ask, what do we call him? What do we call him? Is God his name? Or is there other names for him? And when we study the Old Testament, we can see that even in ancient times, the identity of God was a real important issue to people. They wanted to know who God was. And it seems when you read the Old Testament, that God chose not to reveal His name. It's interesting, isn't it? He chose instead to reveal it through moments of divine intervention over the course of time. If you got your Bibles, here's the first time we find where someone says, what's your name, God? Who do I call you? What do I call you? Amen. Exodus Chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 13. Say amen when you're there. You ready? It says, Then Moses said to God, reading in the New King James Version, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Great question, Moses. Moses is saying, God, do you want me to go to Israel, go to the Hebrew children, and lead them out of captivity? And I'm going to tell them, the God of your fathers sent me. And they say, what's his, what's his name? You've got to understand, the children of Israel lived in Egypt. And all the gods of Egypt had names. There was Ra, there was Osiris, there was Isis, there was all sorts of different names. Horus, there was hundreds of different gods. Right? But they all had names. And so Moses knew, when I get there, they're going to say, what is the name of this god? And God gives him an answer. God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, that doesn't seem particularly revealing, does it? Particularly when we read it in English. You know, have you ever asked someone, so what do you do for a living? And they say something like, I am a firefighter. I am a police officer. I am a teacher. I am a nurse. You know, we always have something to attach to the I am, right? 
But God, when he talks to Moses, just says, I am. And begs like, well, I am, I am what? What are you, God? I am. Tell them that I am has sent me, sent you to them. I am. Right? But in the original language, in Hebrew, this simply consists of four letters, four consonants. You know what the difference is between a consonant and a vowel? A little bit of English lessons in the, mor- in the morning. A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y is a vowel, right? In Hebrew, there was four consonants and it was simply this, Y-H-W-H. And those letters simply means to exist. And so what the Lord was saying when he identified himself to Moses as I am, he was identifying himself as the self-existence self-existent one. He was saying that nobody made me, nobody declared me, nobody compared to me, nobody is before me, nobody was after me. I am. I'm just, I'm here. I am. Right? Y-H-W-H. Amen. And so in the Hebrew language, Y-H-W-H does not have any vowels in it, which makes it impossible for us to pronounce. We can't pronounce that word in English. So what they did was they added some vowels to it, right? They added some vowels. They added an A and they added an E to it. And now we pronounce it Yahweh. And so Yahweh became the common name of God in the Old Testament, right? And so people would say, Yahweh, that's our God. That's his name. His name is Yahweh, which means I am. I just, I am. I exist. There's no one beside me. I am. I'm the only God. I am. And then later on, of course, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, I think it was. When it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, it was translated by German scholars. This is kind of funny. This is just kind of geeky historical stuff, okay? This is stuff that makes me happy, right? German translators translated from Hebrew to Greek, but Germans don't have a Y in their language. They don't have Y. So I thought, well, we don't have a Y, what can we change it to? So they said, well, let's change it to a J, right? And that's where we get the word Jehovah from. It's Yahweh that's been translated from Hebrew to Greek to English with a J instead of a Y, because that's what the Germans did. German translators did that, right? So that's where Jehovah comes from, right? So Yahweh was translated into Jehovah. And although the punctuation and the spelling changed, the meaning of the name did not. Yahweh meant the God who is, full stop. He was the self-existent one. There was no one beside him, no one after him. And as time moved on, God continued to incrementally reveal himself to his people with his attributes by intervening in the lives of people. Now, what do we mean by that? Right? These interventions, these times where God stepped out to help his people allowed people to attach adjectives to God's name. Right? And this is where we get these compound names of God. Amen? So, for example, we know the story of when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, take him up to Mount Moriah, and there I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Right? And Abraham gets up there, and he's getting ready to offer a sacrifice, and all of a sudden the angel stops him and says, don't kill your son, I know that you love me, 
because you were going to withhold nothing from me. There is a ram in the bush behind you. Right? And so Abraham called him Yahweh Jireh, or we would say Jehovah Jireh, or in other words, the Lord who provides. Because Abraham saw, hey, God provided a sacrifice for me. Jehovah Jireh, amen. God saved the Israelites in the Old Testament from the diseases brought upon the Egyptians because they obeyed God's word. So they called him Yahweh Rapha, which means the Lord our healer. So in other words, the children of Israel, as they would see Yahweh move in their life, they would see different things, go, okay, so God is our healer. God is our provider. Amen. When Amalek was attacking the children of Israel, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and Moses lifted his hands, and they won, right? They said, oh, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner, or the Lord is our victory, amen. And so over time, they learned more about the great I Am as He revealed Himself to them through the different characteristics that He did, amen. We're talking about God's name. And these, these names, these titles, they all describe important elements about the nature of God that we talked about last week. Right, and there's lots of them. Jehovah Sidkenu. Um, you research. I don't know. I didn't do all the study on all the names. There's like about 20 of them. Right, different names of attributes of God, where people were able to say, "Well, Yahweh is this to me. Yahweh is that." And so, in other words, Yahweh, I am, came to simply mean. God is everything and anything that I need. He is the self-existent one. There's no one before Him, no one behind Him, no one beside Him, and everything I need is found in Yahweh. This is the Old Testament. So God revealed everything. But none of these names is a complete revelation of God's nature. And you know, the people in the Old Testament realized that. They weren't silly. They knew that this wasn't the full explanation of everything that God was in one name. It just wasn't. You know, and, and Jacob, you know, we know the story of Jacob. Jacob sent his family ahead when he was returning back to his land. And Esau was coming. And the Bible says that he wrestled with a man. And I think it was at Peniel. He wrestled with him. Right? And as they were wrestling, Jacob said, what is your name? I want to know your name. God didn't tell him what his name was, but he blessed him. Manoah, who was the father of Samson, he asked the angel of the Lord what his name was. And the angel's reply was, why do you ask after my name? It is a secret. It's a secret. I'm not going to tell you. Zechariah prophesied of a time when the Lord would be king over all the earth in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9. And in that day, there would be one Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. One Yahweh. Or in other words, there would be one name that would encapsulate everything that we have come to learn about who Yahweh is. There would be one name. That would contain everything because he then said, and his name will be one. 
Zechariah was saying there's coming a time where we're not going to have to go, well, is this Jehovah Nissi? Is this, is this this attribute of God? Is it Rapha? Is it his healing? Is it this attribute? No, there was going to be a name that would encapsulate everything about Yahweh. And then if we turn to the New Testament now, Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel of the Lord is speaking to Joseph, and he says this, and she, talking about Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Amen? While all of God's titles, all of Yahweh's titles in the Old Testament were amazing, they did not fully reveal his identity. They only revealed an aspect of his identity, a part of his identity, and so much of it was hidden. And we understand this. This is the same as us in our life today, amen? We all have different titles that share different bits of information around us, but not everything. I am a pastor. That is a title. But it does not tell you everything about who I am. I am also a brother, right? But it doesn't tell you. It tells you one aspect of who I am, but it doesn't tell you everything about who I am. I am also a son, but again, it does not tell you everything about who I am. To know who I am, you've got to know my name. And my name is Jason. That's who I am as a person, amen. And so when I go into a bank and I want to prove my identity to them, I can use brother and it would be correct. But it doesn't identify me. I can use son, but it won't identify me. I could use father. I could use sales manager. I could use any of the titles that I've got that identify a part of me, but only my full name will completely identify who I am. Amen. And so the name of Jesus was the culmination of all of the Old Testament names of God. And it was the greatest revelation of God that anyone had ever received. Why? Because the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Amen. And you draw the line back all the way back to the book of Genesis. Amen. And you see there's a prophecy right at the beginning where mankind fell and they sinned and they lost out with God. And God said, one day I am going to bring salvation back. I'm going to bring my people back into communion. And the entire Old Testament, as you go all the way through, different aspects of God are revealed until you get to the ultimate revelation of who Yahweh is. When Jesus is born and his name is Yahweh is salvation, he's saying, this is the ultimate, this is it. This is the final revelation of the one God. Amen. Jesus Christ was manifest as God. Amen. God. 
manifest himself in flesh. Amen. It was the fullest and completest understanding of God because it represented the fulfillment of what God had been promising his people for thousands and thousands of years. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament, every lamb that was killed, every bullock that was slaughtered, every bit of blood that was shed to push the sins of the children of Israel forward was only done, amen, so that one day God himself could provide the perfect sacrifice when he robed himself in flesh and became our salvation. Someone say, Jesus Someone say Jesus. God became a man, Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. And eventually he died for our sins. This is what the name of Jesus represented to humanity. Amen. 1 Timothy 3.16. That controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This is the mystery that we don't understand, that we can't wrap our minds around. How could Yahweh, the creator of the universe and the world, the one who is the only God, the one with whom there is no other God beside him, how could he robe himself in flesh and come to earth to save us? That's the mystery of godliness. But we're not called to understand it. We are called to believe it by faith uh, that Jesus came to earth to save you and me. Amen. Someone say hallelujah. Second Corinthians 5.19. Let's read from verse 18. Say amen when you're there. It says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ. Who do you think Paul meant when he said God? A man who had been brought up as a strict monotheist. A man who had been brought up believing that there was only one God. A man who was on his way to Damascus and the Bible says a light struck him down from heaven and he fell down and he cried out. He knew it was God. He knew it was God. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. So this strict monotheist understood, no, there wasn't two people in the Godhead. There wasn't three people in the Godhead. No, he understood that God, he said, was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. When he says God, he's thinking of Yahweh. He's thinking of the God who parted the Red Sea. He's thinking of the God who tore down the walls of Jericho. He's thinking of the God who sent the armies running when Jehoshaphat's worshippers started to praise God. That's the God that Paul is thinking about. God, Yahweh, was manifest in flesh. Yahweh was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Amen. And of course, this meant the New Testament church would be identified by his name. We know the story. 
the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're preaching that you've got to repent, that you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the only saving name. They're preaching, and the, and the elders and the Pharisees pull them aside, and they don't say stop preaching. They don't say stop meeting together. They don't say stop hanging out. They don't say stop talking to the people. They say stop preaching in that man's name because they didn't realize that it was God manifest in flesh. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. We're going to keep preaching the name of Jesus. Amen. And of course, we know they were persecuted and they were hated because they preached in the name. And we know, of course, that there was power that was associated with that name. So I Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, this is why the oneness of God is important. you got to know who you serve. you got to know who we live for. you got to know who lives in your heart. And not just this aspect of Him. And not just that aspect of him but you got to know his name you got to know his full identity you got to know who you serve it's not enough to know part of him it's not enough just to see him as provider it's not enough just to see him as your healer that's why there's power in the name of Jesus the Bible says that whatever you do in word or indeed, do all in the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of pastor isn't going to save you. The name of healer isn't going to save you. The name of Jason isn't going to save you. The name of Kenneth Powell isn't going to save you. The name of Samuel Bonner isn't going to save you. But the name of Jesus will. Hallelujah. So when we baptize, we baptize in the name of Jesus. When we pray for the sick, we're not praying to Yahweh Rapha, our healer. We pray to the name of Jesus. Because we understand that in the name of Jesus, there's power. Wherefore, Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of what? Of pastor? Nah. At the name of the prime minister? Nah. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Hallelujah. There is power in the name of Jesus. Woo! Man, I feel like preaching. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is the most misunderstood scripture in the entire Bible. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you now, that's not talking about some mental ascent where you say, oh yes, I believe in the Lord right now. Come into my heart, Jesus. No, that's a great first step. And if that's where you are, that's wonderful. And I'm so proud of you. Amen. And, but let me tell you, there's more for you. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Numbers 3.27 that they shall put his name on the children of Israel. Let me tell you when you are baptized in the name of Jesus that is what's happening. We're taking the name of Yahweh the name of the one true God the name in which everything is contained and we put it on you and we put you under the water in the name of Jesus. Every sin you've ever committed is forgiven. Every debt is paid 
and we are washed clean because of the name of Jesus. That's what it means when you call on the name of the Lord. We are invoking the name of Jesus on your life. Baptism. When we exalt the name of Jesus, we are declaring by faith that we believe God, who is a spirit, became a man and died for the sins of the world. I'm going to say it again. We are not commanded by God to fully understand exactly how the incarnation happened. We're not. But we are simply commanded to believe it. To understand that that's who Jesus is. And he came for us. He came for you and he came for me. And he made a way of salvation for us to be able to enter back into covenant relationship with God. This is what God wanted to do. All the way from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they fell, covenant was broken. God, who was holy, could not be with a people who are unholy. And throughout the Old Testament, God is progressively leading His people further and further, revealing more and more and more until we get to Jesus, the one who will begin, become our salvation. Hallelujah. And so when we repent of our sins and when we are baptized in the only saving name, the name of Jesus Christ, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of Jesus inhabits our heart, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And we enter into a covenant relationship, Sister Saler, with Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and the fully revealed one God of the Bible. Hallelujah. Woo! Praise you, Jesus. God in the Old Testament progressively revealed more about His nature and about His name by responding to the needs of His people. God responded to His people when they needed healing. God responded to His people when they needed deliverance. God responded to His people when they needed protection. God responded to His people when they needed leading. Hallelujah. But the greatest thing that God could ever respond to is mankind's need for salvation. And God said, there is nobody on this earth who can pay the price for my creation's sin. So I'm going to come myself. And they will call my name Jesus. The greatest revelation of who God is. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. Praise the Lord. Jesus confirmed the Father's name by His works. He revealed the nature and the name of God through His miracles, through healings, through casting out demons, through forgiveness of sin. Have you ever wondered why God did so much? Why Jesus Christ did so much on earth? Why He did cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and set the captives free and, and open the blinded eyes? And why did He forgive sins? Why? He was trying to give people a massive clue. I am one God manifest in flesh. Everything you know about God, everything you know about Yahweh is in me. Whew. This is why when Philip came to Jesus and said, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long? You don't know who I am, Philip. If you have seen me, 
you have seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, Philip, I can't do what you're asking me to do because there's nothing else to see but me. I am the Father manifest in flesh. Hallelujah. Woo. There's power in the name of Jesus. And so we know his name. And last week we learned about his attributes, his nature, who he is. And next week we're going to continue on. We're going to talk more about it. Amen. And I'm looking forward to that. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. We're out of time. Precious Jesus, Lord, there is power in your name, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for your name. We thank you that we know your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can live for you, Lord God. We can serve you with all of our hearts, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to wonder who you are, that we're not sure who you are. Lord, we know your name. Everything we need to know about you, your nature, your attributes is contained in your name. Father, help us, Lord, to be excited about this, uh, to understand, Lord, who you are. What a privilege and an honor it is to know you, Lord God. Lord, help us to share with people around, Lord God, who don't know you, Lord God, or perhaps don't understand fully the importance of who you are, Lord, what it means for our salvation, what it means for our redemption, Lord God. Help us to find the hungry, to find the hurt, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Praise you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Let's turn around and shake hands with one another. And uh, we'll get ready.